Fabrodo, and welcome to Shift F1, a podcast about speedy race cars. That, by the way, is Italian for everything makes broth, which is like saying, sure, what could go wrong? And what could go wrong with introducing a new speck of rain tire during a flood warning? <laughs> Probably nothing. I'm Drew Scanlon. Joining me, Danny O'Dwyer. How are you, Danny? I'm doing good, Drew. Uh, I woke up uh, almost 20 hours ago because I am in Maryland right now having flown back from Ireland, oh, wow. a different land, and my daughter oh my God. Uh, woke up jet-lagged at 3 a.m. So um, I'm just doing fantastic. If I if Race Around the World isn't shouted with as much gusto this week, that's why. Also, for you watching on YouTube, <laughs> if I fall asleep during this podcast, that's also why. But it's not, it's not a commentary on the race that I missed last week, I promise. <laughs> Wow, we got uh, we got jet lag, we got internet lag, uh, and we got Rob Zachney. How are you, Rob? Not bad. I don't really like the thought of everything making broth. It might technically be true, but I'm not sure that everything would would result in something you'd want to call broth. Uh, but I do appreciate the sentiment. Well, if you're new to this podcast, a very warm brothy welcome to you. <laughs> and if you are new to Formula One itself, we recommend listening to our preseason primer episode, which assumes no prior F1 knowledge and explains how the sport works and who everybody is. So if you'd like to go back and listen to that, it's episode 216. Also, this show is supported entirely by our audience over at patreon.com slash shift F1, where every month we release bonus podcasts and videos exclusively for our patrons that cover racing documentaries and films, F1 video games, experiments with other racing series, and a lot of weird things. So if you would like to support the show and get access to all that fun stuff, head over to patreon.com slash shift F1 or click the link in the show notes. What do we have going on this month, Danny? Yeah, so I guess while I was away in our Ireland, uh, the patrons voted for what the next episode of the patron exclusive pod was going to be, and they have voted for Redline, the anime, um, uh, which is seems like it's a long time coming because one intrepid Shift F1, or perhaps Alt F1, uh, the previous incarnation of this podcast listener, sent me a Blu-ray of Redline, like maybe six years ago or something, which I have yet to have watched. So this is oh, wow. perfect timing um but also a massive thanks Great. of course to all of our title sponsors cyphus training turf scs alex medina kickaha of the art at team blackjack michael maves gordy's army at talking autos olivia evans ironstation.dev telemetrydeck.com ftc drew stewart bailey foot abdullah althani jason chadwick abraham getchell hashtag bunny crimes rip waypoint that's that's for you rob snigs Alex Goucher, Max mm. Valtar, Circuit Demon, Troy Stammer, Umberto Roca, William Romf, Irvine Clinical Research, Lachlan the Maddened Man, and of course, Jason Kelly. Wow. All right. Well, uh, we will be recording the Red Line episode uh, following week, correct? That's what we decided on. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, as I said before, apparently... Someone had described it in a review as Speed Racer on crack. So uh, very curious to see what that means. Uh, but let's take it to the news, everyone here, before we get to uh, Imola, ahead of the Emilia Romana Grand Prix. Um, everyone seems, Rob, to be bringing some upgrades. Yeah, this is, uh, it is the time of the long-awaited, like, first wave of what teams are calling, like, major upgrades uh, so far, so far this season. Uh, some upgrades have already debuted, but a lot of teams are showing up with ma major aerodynamic, uh, what they hope will be fixes, uh, we will see. Uh, but we're talking about, like, components on the scale of, like, new floors, for instance. In the case of, I think, AlphaTauri and Ferrari, I want to say, uh, both have effectively, like, reprofiled uh, the the floor of their cars. Uh, Ferrari, uh, Mercedes uh, has worked on fixing their suspension and, try, and trying to get on top of the issues that uh, particularly Hamilton has raised with the car just not having... Uh, good feel uh, without feeling any connection to what the car is doing. Alvatore brought some changes uh, to Miami already. Uh, they, they, they brought uh, a, a revised wing and apparently more upgrades are showing up for Imola as well. 
But it is the nature of F1 in 2023 that everybody's downplaying expectations. Uh, and I don't think they're sandbagging, right? I think it is just the reality of, in terms of where cars are and the ground they need to make up to really make an impression on some of the front runners, it does not seem like anybody's particularly optimistic that... Uh, that the upgrades are going to substantially change where their cars are finishing in the running order mm -hmm. uh, to say nothing of bringing the Red Bull at least back within view by, by the end of a race. So it, it could be that there's a lot of nobody wants to be caught out over promising uh, for disappointing upgrades. But I also just think that this year has been humbling for a lot of teams in terms of like the Delta between expectations and on track performance and there's just a little more hesitancy to, uh, you know, be confident in upgrades. For instance, like, uh, you know, earlier, like, since, like, last week, I, I want to say, um, and Andrea Stella was sort of explaining that McLaren McLaren's, uh, a lot of their issues stem from the fact that a lot of their equipment is outdated. It throws out uh, data that is less... It conforms less well to real world performance and a lot of the apparently like uh the stuff they use on the back end to crunch that data and analyze it is similarly outdated uh so there's there's a lot of teams reckoning oh with, man it's like it's like the atm system you know it's all using fortran yeah exactly it, there is a lot of, like the early adopter problem right is that like mclaren was a cutting edge team mm. 30 years ago they have fallen out of cycle with what is cutting edge technology and it has had a knock on effect that they're, that they are reckoning with. So I, I think a lot of teams are currently, you know, have having to reckon with the fact that not they need these upgrades. Yes. But also the pipelines that produce cars that, are disappointing for a lot of these teams are also compromised in ways they have not figured out and are not going to fix in the first three months of a season as they prepare an upgrade rollout. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's, it's one of those wait and see moments. Um, I think they're all bringing it now because we're back in Europe yeah. for a triple header. Um, so you don't have to ship anything anywhere. You're in, you're in truck range. I, I also feel like Imel is a, a decent place to roll that upgrades. It's sort of your classic road course uh, c configuration in a lot of ways. It has a lot of different like profiles for corners. So I do think you're going to get a lot of decent data off how how cars run at Imola. Not necessarily how they finish, but just the running data I think is is really valuable at a track like this. Well, those aren't the only changes coming this weekend because Formula One has seen fit to uh, drastically change up what's going on with the tires over the course of a weekend. Um, so they're changing how many sets of dry weather tires each team gets hmm. per driver, reducing the number from 13 sets per driver to 11 to, in the words of Pirelli Motorsport Director Mario Isola, decrease the environmental impact generated by the production and transport of the tires. So instead of eight softs, three mediums, and two hards, which was standardized uh, uh, a few years ago, each driver will now get a much more even allocation of four softs, four mediums, and three hards. In tandem with this, uh, F1 is also changing the rules on what tires can be used in qualifying. So in Q1, drivers now must use hard tires. In Q2, it's mediums. And in Q3, it's the softs. So no more using softs for every hot lap in your qualifying. Uh, what do you guys think of this, Danny? What do you? What are your knee-jerk reactions? Here? Yeah, I, I mean, look, tires have always been, have often been the way in which, like, excitement has uh, been generated like one of the things that we often talk about when it comes to new f1 fans is that um there is an artificial nature to the competition and there's an artificial nature to the spectacle that happens in the sport and you know over the years we've covered on this podcast the various ways in which they have tried to get qualifying to be more of a spectacle um i i'm there's always a rub right the, whenever we do this Whenever there's a change like this, there's always like one interesting part of it. And the interesting part of it here is, yes, like you said, they can't just use softs. 
to try and get that one great lap or you know uh the the teams that are fighting with each other they all know who they're fighting with um in q1 or q2 can't just like use the same strategy that the the other one's doing um they mightn't have as much uh play with teammates giving other teammates uh toes all that sort of stuff but there's always a rub at the end of the weekend especially when there's one of these tests there's always something we didn't think of but all the rest of the teams because they were looking at this and like thinking the various ways in which it might come out they had some strategy which completely inerted any fun thing that could happen so the thing that we might see here is that there's less competition is that the teams which have uh cars that don't perform as well who maybe would have used the softs when stronger teams might have used another tire just to save them for the race maybe it makes the spread even more obvious you know what i mean but it's always so hard to tell until you get into it the other thing that might happen this weekend as we're looking at the weather is that this all might be completely inert if it's raining during quality and all this goes out the door. So we'll have to wait and yeah. see, really. Yeah, what, what are your thoughts, Rob? Yeah, I mean, like, there's a bit of where F1 is at right now with just in terms of tweaking things for the sake of the show, for the sake of competition, that there's a little bit of, um, like... The analogy I return to a lot is uh, like game balancing in esports, right? Mm. Where like a thing that you would see cycle through a lot. The point was kind of frustrating is that you would see developers retuning existing games based on what they were seeing in competitive play to try and address imbalances that they identified there. But the thing is, it's a moving target that sometimes the imbalance that's there is just some people figured out early advantage strategies. And eventually those things were mooted as people catch up. And F1 is in this, I think, um, loop of trying to grab levers and throw them to like improve the spectacle, improve the competition. And hey, it sucks. Like it like <laughs> genuinely overall the things they have attempted have failed. Like 2021, the end of the previous era. Uh, we were about to head into a much vaunted era of like the cars being able to follow each other closely, and it's going to be tons of overtaking. It's going to be really competitive. Um, no, what you managed to do was like take a really competitive championship race and like create two runaway seasons in a row, and then a field full of cars that nobody seems comfortable driving and that nobody seems to be having fun with. So when I see stuff like this, I, like in principle, I think it might be a decent idea, um, but it seems a little gimmicky, I think, and reducing environmental impact is always good. But to me, this feels a little bit like maybe we're not going far enough. You know, you watch an indie race, hey, teams don't enter the race with many good sets of tires left. Okay. Like by the time they're by the time they're running an indie, uh, cars that are sticker new are like worth their weight in gold. So like some teams <laughs> are just going out there basically like it was a bad weekend. We don't have a really great tire allocation for this race just because of how things have shaken out. And I think if you really want to like push how far we take this, that's maybe where you want to go is teams are coming into race day with here's what we got. <laughs> and then we and, and then we see how it goes. But like as far as you know, mandating everyone uses these different compounds uh, during during the qualifying sessions. Who cares? <laughs> I don't think that's going to move the needle very much at all. Yeah. Yeah. I. I. So I think it is from like a, I don't know, a philosophical angle. I do like that the cars you know, this sort of forces them to be a little more well-rounded on each tire. Um, and you know, the, the, the one that is the most well-rounded does the best, right? Um, I do think I agree with you guys in that there is a something, there's like, uh, minor strategy things that in some cases turn out to be big strategy things. Like if they have enough tires for, uh, you know, to, to, to leap from Q1 to Q2, um, or whether they used up all their tires getting to, to Q3, now I have to start the race um, uh, uh, on some old ones, or maybe uh, elected not to spend the tires to get to, you know, as high as they could in Q2, and now are a little out of position, and that has impact on the race. We're not going to see any of that, right? So, um, I don't know. I, I think... 
I think it's just, I think I'll just wait and see again. Uh, along with this though, F1 has also introduced a new specification for the full wet tire that does not use those electric tire warming blankets. Mm. Uh, this is also part of F1's green push to eliminate tire blankets entirely uh, by 2024. Um, Drivers are a little skeptical of eliminating blankets, saying that it could be unsafe to drive the cars uh, since they're tougher to drive when their tires are ice cold and less grippy. Uh, and like I said, and like you alluded, Danny, this is the first weekend with these f- full wet tires, and judging from the weather forecast, it looks like they might be put to the test. Uh, according to racefans.net, quote, the highest possible weather warning, a red alert, has been put out for May 17th, with floods, landslides, and instability expected to the west and north of the town of Imola, where the Grand Prix is being held. Uh, so, um, while we're on the subject, I guess, I guess I'll just continue with the rest of the weather report, uh, also from race fans. Friday could be as cool as 11 Celsius or 52 Fahrenheit, which is apparently the coldest conditions yet this year. Wow. Uh, and if the rain clouds move away, then it could be as warm as 17 or 63 Fahrenheit. Uh, when first practice is scheduled to start at 1230, uh, there is a 40% chance of rain and potentially some 20 kilometer an hour or uh, 12 mile an hour winds as well. Similar temperatures are expected for third practice and qualifying on Saturday. Warmer conditions in the afternoon, but the risk of rain increases. Uh, sunny morning. A sunny morning means the track temperature could be at its highest when it comes to race on the race on Sunday, and the wind will continue to ease. However, that also means that any rain clouds which drift in are unlikely to blow away quickly. So, it's uh, it's going to be a trial by fire for the uh, the wet weather tires. I would say. Um, I'm sure nothing disastrous will happen. Well, that almost makes it sound like uh, I don't know. You know, uh, I'm curious. Should an event like this be held, given like public getting to the race? That is that is the one. Oh, like yeah. when I hear that, I'm like, uh, is this a thing where tons of people are going to be driving to the track in like biblical conditions? Because that's less than ideal. Yeah, it says the the heavy rain has led to warnings that rivers in the area may burst their banks. The Saterno River uh, flows nearby the Imola track and its paddock where the F1, F2, and F3 teams will be based. Wait. So imagine Sorry. people walking around in galoshes. Are they bringing that up because the paddock <laughs> and all that shit is below the level of the river? Like, is the track on a floodplain? Guess we'll I, find I, out. I don't know. Yeah. Um, so even if, even if like, and, and fingers crossed that, like, uh, you know, worse doesn't come to worse, but the... I guess the real test for these tires, right, is if if we if we fall short of biblical flooding, but it's just like a really like heavy lingering rainstorm, are they going to be able to actually get a race done? Because remember the wrap on the old wets was that they atomized the water particles so that oh, visibility yeah. is just like totally screwed long after the rain has stopped because they are so effective at dispersing the water uh, into into the air. So I think like. That's kind of the other thing I'm really curious about is you know that that race that we lost at Spa, mm. it wasn't it wasn't rain coming down that caused that issue. It was the fact that like we couldn't get it off the track and and out of the driver's eyes. Uh, so this seems like we are. I would not be surprised if this week we are discussing another uh, F1 disaster. Effectively, <laughs> as people tune in for hours of like, I mean, is this happening or not? It, it might be great, though. Like, what if the, the new wets are the heroes? Um, Roman Grosjean, former F1 driver, now in IndyCar, is out here saying that IndyCar's wet weather tires are better, specifically that he could stay flat out in the straights uh, where he couldn't in Formula 1. So maybe these will be closer to that. The other thing we maybe see. we should remember, and I'll talk about this a little bit when we get to the track walk, is do you remember last year's race here where they didn't uh, turn DRS on for like 35 laps because of uh, fears? I think mostly over the uh, Russell Bottas crash that happened the year prior about there being uh, a bad crash. I mean, Imola is Imola, right? It's where Ayrton Senna um, crashed as well and lost his life. And it's where, you know, there is not much runoff in various parts of this track. Um, so if ever there was a track where they're going to be a little bit 
more cautious than usual, it's probably Imola. So that, you know, uh, I, I if they're going to err on the side of caution, they're definitely going to do it here. Yeah, well, Formula One is the 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 um the company is not. Uh, they have said that they're going full speed ahead, um, despite the red alert. Um, but speaking of things that uh, remain to be seen, Danny, Las Vegas, <laughs> uh, short of it being constructed for the Grand Prix, uh, we have one way at least to see it. Uh, I don't want to tell you how to do your segues, but there was a really easy uh, red alert to Formula One video game one there you just kind of left on the table. Um, uh, but, you know, don't worry about well, it. Well, I'm thinking of uh, <laughs> what's going to what's going to be my thumbnail image for this. Oh, yeah. Good point. I don't want I don't want to burn my red alert references <laughs> in, in the podcast, but um, maybe there'll be something else. Good point. Um, at the yeah. So uh, I guess uh, F1, the new video game is coming out uh, pretty soon. They do this. Uh, you know, if you're new to the sport, it's usually uh, during the sort of summer break is when we get the to play the new F1 video game because Codemasters um, or EA, I guess at this stage, EA Codemasters have the uh, unenviable task of trying to replicate a sport, um, which changes quite a lot every year, especially when it comes to how good each car is in relation to each other. Uh, so they put up a video that was basically detailing some of the new goodies that are going to be in this um, year's game in terms of, uh, you know, this bunch of stuff about uh, feedback controller um how the, how the, uh, game will handle all the sort of usual stuff but one of the interesting things is the tracks that are in there we get our first little peeks at uh, both the vegas track and the lasalle track in qatar that we're going to be racing at later this year and um, both of these tracks are in it but uh, very different i would say in terms of accuracy by what they're talking about vegas seems to have been predominantly constructed using you know photographs photogrammetry of the track um, maybe public data on the roads and things like that. Uh, LaSalle, on the other hand, is like the full beans, you know, laser circuit, all the, the CAD stuff they would have had when they were building the the track. Um, and you notice that when you're playing the games. Um, you know, Monza, for instance, when you come off um, uh, the, uh, the my, what's the, what's the name of the turn at the end? I'm very tired. They're always parabolic. Remind, parabolic. Yeah. It always reminds me of a, of a tool album. Um, uh, when you come up to parabolic, that little bit of a d -d 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 bounce that's on the left hand side there, all those little bumps, those are especially important, I think in street circuits. So I'm guessing Vegas will be probably as accurate as you can get, but maybe won't be as accurate as, um, uh, some other tracks in regards to that type of sort of minute uh, detail. Um, but yeah, they both look interesting. Obviously, Vegas is a night track too. So in the game and the shots they showed, it was pretty cool to see the, the Vegas strip lit up that much. Uh, and uh, yeah, just the, one other note was that they also mentioned that they have Shanghai, uh, Paul Ricard and Portimao in the game as well, even though um, for various reasons, those three tracks are not on the calendar this year. So I'm excited for Portimao especially because they've had that in the game before. And I think that's a... Have they Actually, did they have that in the game last year? I'm trying to remember. I think they did last year. I or, think they added it at the... Like there was I think an you're update, right. postseason update to F1 2020 20? or something. Yeah. yeah. During the COVID season where it was like, okay, we didn't know we were going to be racing here. So <laughs> I guess here's Portimao. Uh, look, I love... I think they should just lean into the fact nobody's seen the Vegas race yet. Just go full Need for Speed underground with that shit. <laughs> like nobody knows anymore. You can just be like, "Hey, we th this was our simulation data of how we thought this race might look like." It's like Empire City and Need for Speed or something. <laughs> just like we kind of like figured... F one Race Stars. Remember that game? Yeah, yeah. Bellagio. Uh, how are you always? How is the Bellagio Fountain at the end of every straight? I don't know, but it's cool. <laughs> <laughs> and all the cars have underglow. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, I I thought it was cool just just to see, um, you know, realized in some virtual form the cars racing down the strip. Like yeah. you hear that, like they're gonna do that and just see it. It's it's different. Uh, also, they've modeled the sphere. Yes, they have. It's a circle, as it turns out. Um, uh, they've it's yeah. it's a yeah. The it, it looks like a fast street circuit. I mean, we're kind of used to them a little bit now. And Jeddah is obviously incredibly fast, and incredibly tight, but. Um, there's a couple of parts as well where there's like the bridges, you know, like on the strip, they have those like yeah. walkways that go over and some of those aren't that high and they're made of like concrete, I think. So like a part of me is like, Ugh, you know, 
I don't like I don't like that, but you know, it's that's always the that's always the, the worry with these new tracks, especially when their street circuits going at that speed. Um we'll have to wait and see, I guess. Drain covers whipping through the air. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Uh all right. Well, uh we'll have to wait on that one, but we're not gonna wait very long for Imola, Danny. Yeah, Imola's a, a sort of a, a a new old friend, as it were. This is a tried and tested track in formula one for many many years uh first race in 1980 in the name imola now it's technically known as autodromo enzo edinu sorry dino ferrari uh, it was renamed that in the late 80s um this was also the italian grand prix back and forth with monza for a while uh, it was also the san marino grand prix for a while as well that's how i remember it in the 90s uh, it's not actually in san marino it's but it's close to san marino and um you know when you have a a little independent city-state sitting right there. Why not name a Grand Prix after it? I guess. Um, sixty-three laps long. It's not the longest uh, track in the in in the year. Uh, it's a uh, four point nine kilometers. It's about three miles. Uh, drivers really like it though. It's like super fast and fun. It's like a roller coaster. There is very little. Um, uh, you know. I would say that the track isn't particularly it's it's wide enough for a classic race track even if the cars have gotten wider themselves um but it does have very punishing runoff you know not crazy like a street circuit but it's not really the type of track where there's many places you can go off and not um hit a wall um Acqua Minerale is uh one of the more famous spots for this it's where Charles Leclerc had his off and I think it was two years ago now um, but like I said, one of the issues that we ran into last year was that uh, there was quite a DRS strain going on and the race was kind of a race in two halves. It was a weird sort of a litmus test for what F1 might be like without DRS. Um, and not to say it was completely uncompetitive in the first half, but basically it was a lot of very frustrated drivers, um, perhaps down to strategy as well, who just could not get past anyone until the DRS was lifted. I think it was around lap 35 of the 63. Um so that was due to inclement weather so that's why i mentioned it again because it might be an issue we run into this weekend um but it also sort of it's one of these tracks where we bring up the conversation of if there are some tracks that f1 has kind of grown out of you know imola sort of works better at a lower speed you could say or you know with cars that are able to handle differently around turns or or aren't as wide, perhaps, or don't require as much of uh, this aero issue when it comes to overtaking. Um, but it's also a fan favorite. You know, it's you know, uh, it's been in the sport for a long time, and the drivers really like driving on it. Um, whether or not they like racing on it is another question. Yeah, just the one DRS zone. Yeah. That, uh, there, it's like, there are not many places that are straight uh, enough on this one to, to warrant another uh, DRS zone. So yeah, um, you tend to get a lot of uh, the overtaking happening in that section. As a result, it's on the start finish straight. All right. Well, heading into this weekend, the driver standings look like this. Max Verstappen is on top with 119 points. Sergio Perez right behind him with 105 Fernando Alonso is in a little further back, uh, third place with 75 points. Lewis Hamilton, another jump down to fourth place with 56. Carlos Sainz is in fifth with 44 points. George Russell in sixth with 40. Charles Leclerc in seventh with 34. Lance Stroll in eighth with 27. Lando Norris in ninth with 10. And Pierre Gasly in 10th with 8 points. Then we've got Nico Hulkenberg and Esteban Ocon tied for 11th with 6. Valtteri Bottas and Oscar Piastri tied for 13th with 4. A three-way tie between Zhou Guan Yu, Yuki Tsunoda, and Kevin Magnussen for 15th place. Then we've got Alex Albon in 18th, and then Logan Sargent and Nick DeVries with 0. In the constructor standings, Red Bull Racing is on top with 224 points. Aston Martin is in 2nd with 102 Mercedes is in third with 96, and then Ferrari in fourth with 78. Uh, McLaren is in fifth with 14 points, tied with Alpine. Uh, Gene Haas and team, they've got eight points in seventh place. Uh, in eighth place is Alfa Romeo with six points, then Alfa Tauri in ninth with two, and Williams with one. Uh, if you'd like to join the standings yourself, you can join our Fantasy League using the link in the show notes. And you can send us an email, Danny. 
I love how you always throw to me. Isn't isn't Rob in charge of the emails these days? But you you know the email address. Do I though? I always mess it up. I guess it might be <laughs> shift at one podcast at gmail.com or f1.cool slash emails. But now it's Rob who gets to see all the emails right. that uh that people come demanding in from refunds to their F1 TV subscription. TV, exactly. It's <laughs> I don't understand like how did it end up at our doorstep? What's going on there? You see the goofy we little pictures all in the, the episodes, time. and you're like, this is an official F1 product. <laughs> oh, is this the same problem you used to get a giant bomb, uh, Drew, with just, like, video games? Yeah. Right. Like, uh, I want a refund for this. It doesn't work on my computer. Uh, how do I get past this boss? Yeah, very weird. I'm sorry. Old habits die hard. Rob, please. Yeah. Take it away. All right, Brandon writes, Hola, duders. With the relatively new cost cap, is there any chance the penalties for power unit components eventually go away and just get rolled into the overall cost cap? It seems like if a team can make a competitive engine for 3 bucks 50 they should be able to use it as they want. This probably puts the smaller teams at a disadvantage now, but it might be interesting in the future if teams are given more options on how to spend their budget. So uh, two things about this thing. Part of it is, like to the point about tires a moment ago, F1 just wants to generally send a message of we are being less wasteful of like resources being consumed by components and such. But also bear in mind that uh, like supply is constrained. F1 engines are not easy to make and you can't just whip up another batch very easily. And so uh, my suspicion is like the allocation there is partly for like stuff, you know, yes, there's a cost control element to it, but I think the thing the cost cap really protects is uh, engine manufacturers from uncertainty that, you know, they can basically plan on, yes, there'll be a few unexpected replacements, but by and large, here's the target they have to hit. Uh, and so, like, I don't think, even if they completely junked these rules, you would see many teams uh, embracing the notion of just, like, let's 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 throw the let's just you know throw cheap engines together and, and see how far they get uh you know you can sort of see that indycar just went through this of trying to roll out a new engine and the entire thing falls apart because the suppliers uh right. feel completely overwhelmed by the like demands being placed on them now who knows maybe you know if you throw all this out you can make such weird junky engines that suddenly you get teams like williams being like you know we could make an engine we're smart engineers. That would be pretty cool. I'm actually selling myself on this idea, but I do suspect that the way F1 is currently constructed with engine suppliers, uh, the power unit requirements are not going to change just because they want to even that out and make it predictable year on year. Yeah. Drew, you want to take the next one? Well said. Sure. Chloe writes in, Hello. I have a question that's been bugging me for a while, and it came up again at Baku. When there's a DRS train, the commentators always seem to blame the driver at the front of the train. Usually, like in this last race, it's Ocon. <laughs> uh, however, it's, isn't it the second driver in the train's fault, given that they have DRS but can't pass? They never talk about that first driver defending well, just that they're a, quote, cork in the bottle, holding everyone else up in the train. Uh, but if the DRS works so well, wouldn't the second driver be the one holding everyone else behind them? Thanks for all you do. Chloe from Melbourne, Australia. <laughs> um, yeah, good point. I think this is kind of down to framing. Um, and it's not necessarily that the, the driver who's the cork is doing a great job at defending, but that he's, he's not slow enough to be passed by DRS. Uh, and I think you you get a train um, because not only the does the second driver get DRS, but also everyone else behind them gets DRS too. And because there's that first uh, failure to hop over the first one, uh, that kind of accordion effect can happen. 
Am I making any sense here? What do you guys think? Am I missing no, something? No, I, I think you're you're by and large correct. Like, I mean, the faster cars, for instance, you rarely hear about some of the fastest cars really being caught in DRS trains because they do have the wherewithal to just, like, cut through them. But, yeah, the thing to remember is a lot of times that car at the front of the DRS train is fast enough to hold the car behind it uh, back without the aid of DRS. And so right away you got a problem where DRS can't quite solve, can't quite, like, make this overtake possible. But then because everyone is in DRS range behind it, you get these weird dynamics of suddenly every car kind of has a defensive assist active uh, all the way to that front car, which has just enough natural pace that whether or not someone behind it has DRS they're going to be very they're but, going to be very hard to go up that position. But to Chloe's point though, I do think that oftentimes the commentators I think just because they're trying to highlight where the train is that they do often highlight the lead car. Um but she's right, it is sort of an unfair cuz I, I what what we're basically arguing here is that they're actually probably doing better than a lot of the cars behind them because they're able to pull out that advantage. Um so yeah, it, it to me it, it You're right. to me they kind of do that because you know it, <laughs> I feel like it's like on a motorway if if you're on this fast lane and there's somebody at the front you're generally like saying oh if they got out of the way we'd all be able to go fast but that's not necessarily the case like if Ocon was able to pull out then whoever was behind them Sonoda whoever was would then just be the cork in the bottle so I think well, she's right I think th- I think there is a sort of a, a lot of the time an unfair one framing there well and Chloe even notes uh, that's it's good it's a good note that uh you know it's an Alpine a car that is actually not as bad as it like <laughs> some has made out to be right like the Alpine is struggling to take the fight to the front running teams but like it is not a bad car and so yeah it's going to have cars piling up behind it because like in a in a straight fight it's it it should be hard to to overtake so yeah it is it is interesting how this stuff gets framed and let's be real a lot of times commentators are talking about like Oh man, if somebody just gets past this guy, he'll be he'll be gone. Right. And then it doesn't happen. Yeah. I think there's a little bit of you conjure for the audience in a <laughs> like a land of imagination where imagine the action will get once like these cars are released to go Rob, racing. Rob, you're literally talking about every F one weekend. Yep. It's just us imagining how good it'll be. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I'll bet after I'll bet after this uh pit stop cycle, we're gonna see some shit. <laughs> Uh, will I take this next one? Yes, please. Awesome sauce. This one comes in from... I'm not quite sure, actually. Should oh, no, there it is. It's right there. Yeah. Hello, hello. Gabrielle. My name is Gabrielle, Gabrielle, and my whole family listens to the pod. It is a constant topic of conversation in our family oh, group cool. chat Group chat when new episodes drop. That's awesome. Thanks so much. Uh, I'm a graphic design student, and this past semester, one of my studios was on designing information graphics and i saw this as a perfect opportunity to design something about formula one both of my parents are aeronautical engineers jeez and are the reason my sister and i follow racing so i decided to capitalize on their knowledge and do my infographic on downforce in formula one uh, it compares and the 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 image is, is cool. pasted in here. Uh, it compares the 1968 Lotus 49B car, which is the first car to introduce any sort of aerodynamic setup in the 1968 Monaco Grand Prix, to modern F1 cars, where downforce is crucial to the maneuverability and speed of the cars. I tried to keep all the language as beginner friendly as possible and simplify this. What I found out to be very a very complicated topic. Uh, as much as possible. Uh, thought I'd share because it's interesting to see the evolution of F1 cars throughout the years and how downforce has become such a large part of the design. And yes, I would say it is a, a terrific graphic. I'm sure we'll link it in the show notes, Drew. Um, just really goes to show how much yeah. uh, ground effect is uh, takes so much of the aerodynamic load that was previously put on the uh, front and rear wings uh, mostly. It is a great, it is a great, it is a great graphic. Uh, I like... My two notes want a little more contrast uh, to make some of these things pop a little more. But the big thing, I'm like, I'm curious just because I don't know the answer to this. Overall, if we like 
what is the Newton measurement of like how much total downforce is being generated by Arrow in 1968 oh, right. versus now? Because mm. my suspicion is like the mm. the difference between the two numbers is wild. Because as this graphic points out, the floor of the the entire the entire frame of the car in 68 is acting like a wing and is like undoing some of the downforce caused by the the actual wings, right? Because the the hull of the car is sort of like like trying to rise uh at those speeds and they've they've largely solved that uh now so i'm i'm very curious not just in terms of where the downforce is being generated but i i am so curious in terms of like how much press was on the 68 car versus like what what drivers are experiencing now uh yeah agreed anson writes guys Question about car upgrades. Teams always talk about the scheduled upgrades. How much of the upgrades are something that is on a calendar and planned for when the car is developed versus how often are they reactionary based on observation and notes from drivers? Specifically thinking about the McLaren this car this year where they'd only raced once and they were already talking about the massive upgrades for Baku. Like, if you had upgrades coming, why not just install them sooner than later? Why wait? Uh, So, I think it's a few things. Like, you can... You can know what the issues are, but you don't necessarily know what the answers are. But you can predict your process well enough that you know how long it will take to come up with like candidate answers and do quality control on the changes you are making and then produce them. You can't really... You, you especially don't want to rush this stuff now because everything in F1, because of the cost cap and because they also meter your simulation and your wind tunnel time, you really can't just like do rapid iteration and just try a bunch of stuff out. You really kind of have to make sure that you are follow, you are arriving at decent answers that will actually be, if not like panaceas for your car, serviceable upgrades that you can use to build from there. So I, like a big part of this is, yes, from preseason testing, teams have identified here are problem areas. And from there... It is a matter of like having the different departments go through their processes to begin fleshing out what these upgrades will actually be and fabricating them. I do think there is a little bit of um, like something I'm really conflicted about with this era of metering all these things and having the cost cap is like it does feel like it's made F1 really deterministic where, mm. you know, teams can't really rapidly turn the ship around and be like our car sucks we need to like completely tear up the design and revamp it to compete this season instead like really early you kind of get to this point of teams being like well we'll get them next year yeah and that they're they're forced to play that long game because of the budget cap but i also do think it causes some of the issues that we see in the sport which is that like you know we're sitting here really not very far into the season, but the entire thing feels like a foregone conclusion because the teams that could afford to be like, damn the cost, we are taking the fight to Red Bull. They're not allowed to do it. Mm. I almost feel like, does F1 need a little bit of a luxury tax roll? Where it's like, <laughs> if you really look, if you, you want to break the bank? Like, t- like just bringing the fight to the front runner? Go ahead. But you're also going to pay other teams for the privilege. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I. So the thing about uh, big upgrades versus small upgrades, I, I think it's tough for us to know exactly how much um, this is the case. But I do think that there's something to be said for the cascade uh, effect of when you change one component on a car especially these cars and how complicated they are, how everything works together. You can't really just change like the floor, right? You really have to, that has front wing implications. It's got diffuser implications. Um, Teams do bring small upgrades, but they, there's, I think probably some tipping point where Mm. it's like, Oh, you know, they change their winglets a little bit. Um, Or, you know, if, if it's, if it grows to some size, well, then we're talking about multiple things that need to change. So that's why we have like yeah. the big upgrades. And then, and if you follow the sport closely enough, like there's probably 
um, you know, articles, uh, I, formula one, I think on their website does a lot of, uh, technical deep dives per weekend about the d- different upgrades that teams bring. You hear more about the big ones, but like there are little incremental upgrades going on all the time. That is a really good point. Imagine how infuriating it would be if you had like a front wing aerodynamicist being like, I move fast and I break things and just rolling out like radically different front wings <laughs> and like everyone else who's further down the chain is just like, what are you doing? Right. You, I have dirty yeah, air now. You destroy, my, you my destroyed the side pod and our braking and our, yeah, and our rear downforce because of your one, your one bright idea. Right. So that's, that is a really good point that, uh, you know, there's, there's really not much you can change with these cars that doesn't like completely send shockwaves through the, uh, entire, entire frame. Yeah. Should uh, I Drew, you got the next one? Yeah. Yeah, uh, Mike says, I began to follow F1 about five years ago at the tail end of the Mercedes run of championships. Today, I notice a lot of hand-wringing and comments from drivers and media about how Red Bull's dominance isn't good for the sport. While that may be true, certainly, I don't remember the same being said about Mercedes during their seven-championship streak. Is it me, or does there appear to be more unease from F1 with Red Bull at the top? Um, Yeah, so I think there's a lot of things going on here. Uh, I think, I think one of it's one, it's political. So every, uh, you know, team that's not Red Bull is going to complain. Um, like, Hey, Stefano Domenicali, do something, which he has actually said, we're not interfering here. Sorry. This it's not happening. Um, and I think another thing that's happening is Red Bull is, it was a, it was a fast ascent. Uh, to how far ahead they are. And I I also came in at, I think, the beginning of the Mercedes dominance, so I, I don't remember that either. Um, but I, th- I have a feeling it was more gradual uh, and not as... I don't um, think it was. I think it was no? fat because... What, so okay. what happened... What, remember, going back to what started the uh, Mercedes era, it was power unit changes. Like... The power unit completely changed, and that those first like two years of the era, Mercedes were the only ones that had a really great engine that was reliable and powerful. So like it was, they were not that good a team under the previous regulations, and then suddenly their, their strength was in the powertrain uh, division, and the the power unit rules changed, and what do you know, they wrecked house. And it did change overnight. And I think they kind of repeat the history here where it's like they froze engines. So it doesn't matter now how good your your power unit uh, departments are because they're frozen. They're, those, things, those things are under glass until the new regulations effectively. And so everything was aero-centered. And what do you know? Uh, there's one team that has like maybe the greatest aero, aerodynamic engineer in F1 history still, uh, still working there. So I think, I th- I think it... Like I think that it can be sudden. I think it often is in F one. It's always the sense of like somebody stole a march uh, and 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 got a competitive edge. But I think one, like I, I think there are a couple things which is the this is more boring than the Mercedes era largely was. Like Mercedes, like we can argue about whether Rosberg was real competition for Lewis in those years, but they had at least two years where that relationship was tense and fraught and Rosberg managed to nick one of those championships out from under, from, uh, from under Lewis. And so we like of those many years of Mercedes dominance, we had a couple of years of like there being a compelling intra team battle happening there. And then we had a year where through some inventive sensor technology approaches, Ferrari managed to produce a fast engine and like throw together what looked like a credible <laughs> challenge. And then Red Bull was like like closing in uh, visibly. And it sort of that culminates in 2021. So I think it is, you know, at, at sort of the outset of the Mercedes era, it felt a little bit less like uh, the fight at the front was completely done. Uh, whereas we'll see if Sergio can, can, sustain that but i think after miami everyone's kind of tugging their collar being like he may not be the rossberg uh to verstappen yeah. hamilton i think for me there's there's three separate things that sort of come to mind here one is 
Uh, and a lot of it has to do with the context of the era that just previously went. I think when Mercedes had their first run, we still remembered what happened with Braun in 2009. So there was this idea that on any given season, some team might just rise to the occasion. Like maybe this is the year Ferrari figures it mm -hmm. out. Maybe this is the year Red Bull figures it out. And then, and, and at least that was in my head, that it wasn't this idea of like, oh, it's going to be years and years and years of this. I always held out hope at the start of every season that we might have a bit of competitiveness and it didn't happen. Another thing that I think is really important is at this current juncture, the one thing that everyone has been trying to do with these new regulations is stop that thing from happening. So the fact that it's happening again actually does sting harder this time. The fact that it's Red Bull instead of Mercedes. Yes. Hey, look, if you're a Red Bull fan or a Mercedes fan, I'm sure it looks worse or better or whatever. I'm independent. I don't follow any other team. I don't necessarily think people are more pissed off at Red Bull. I think Mercedes fans are, but I remember plenty of hand-wringing for years and years. Granted, near the end of that, you know, seven years of dominance or whatever it was, people had sort of gotten used to it. But definitely at the start, it was not that fun. Um, and yeah, I think, uh, yeah, sorry, sort of merged my second and third points there. I think I think one of the biggest problems, and Rob alluded to it when he was talking about the engine regulations, is that now we're sort of in a situation where we, we don't really think another team was going to pop up. Like, and when you have a 23 race season and they're so dominant and you don't have that teammate fight, it does seem like just it's like a, a song that's not going to end. Like we're going to be singing the same song for the next umpteen races and then we're going to roll the dice next year and hope it changes, but it might not. And that's worrying. It's really good, but like all these changes, the cost cap, the aero regs, all of it was coming from F1 being like the sport shouldn't be like this. And now we're back to it. Yes. And like arguably as bad as it's ever been. And you're right, that that does hit really different is you 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 sold all these changes with the notion that like we're gonna make it more competitive and more balanced. And instead, at least at the front, it is a like foregone conclusion that this is now just a Red Bull era. Uh, especially because again, like teams can't throw like, you know, the, the engine the engine slider is frozen. Uh, so yeah, I think there's it, it is it is frustrating to be back here, uh, and like it's I want to say the Mercedes era Braun happened, and then we got the Red Bull period, right? Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, but like so, the Mercedes era did herald a bit of a changing of the guard. I think the thing that also stings is twenty twenty one. <laughs> made us not want a changing of the guard. It made us want to see that battle go on forever. Yeah, that's true. And instead, we sort of backed yeah. into, we're back to a dominant period. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I take this next one here from Rob, actually. Uh, With tickets to Miami and Vegas being unattainable by the common individual and tickets for a seat at Coda going from $609 to $1,000 plus, I wanted to bring another option to the table for us here stateside. Last week, for a total of $85, bucks, I went to the IndyCar race at Barber Motorsports Park here in Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, this included the extra $35 bucks I paid for a pit pass. If you go to uh, for this option, beware of the drivers as uh, the zoom by, or they zoom by on scooters. Uh, you're asked to stand aside as they taxi the cars to the grid. You're close enough to touch them so you can get a very, very close look. Uh, it was a fun experience and worth checking out uh, if there's a race in your area. I know it isn't our one true love, but I got to meet Formula One drivers from the past and possibly the future. Uh, the Junior Series also raced and that was fun as well. Uh, it rained the night before the race and a car in Indy NXT went off. They sent a tow truck to recover the vehicle, and the tow truck got stuck in the mud. So they had to send a second oh, no. tow truck to drag the one out of the mud. And then the track was covered in mud. It was a mess. Uh, I've been a listener since the Alt F1 days, and I've always enjoyed your views on the sport. Keep it up, Rob. Thanks very much, Rob. Yeah, we've. I feel like this has come up a couple of times, the idea that there is some uh, high-quality uh, open-wheel uh, and NASCAR stuff happening all over the place and yeah i mean like i was talking to my wife about it a um a couple of weeks back about like what races you'd go to and 
uh, increasingly I was thinking, I don't know, like if I wanted a local race that was affordable, I'd go to Mexico or Canada, you know, <laughs> like, and I'm not even sure how affordable that really is. But the, the American ones, especially, I think with Florida and Vegas, they haven't really helped themselves. I think if if they had introduced maybe some other big track ones, it might have relieved some of the pressure on Coda. But in fact, if anything, it's made Coda even more expensive because it's, you know, it's well, one of these are tracks to, to get tickets for. It's a funny thing, like, one, I think this is a really great point of, like, the value of an indie ticket is just through the roof, comparatively. Uh, I had a friend who also is in, in, in on F1, and what do you know, they bought tickets for Detroit because they're like, well, in, <laughs> like, F1 is absurd, but I want to go see a race, so I'm going to go see Indy. And I think, like, you know, I would not be surprised they end up being a convert. I think Indy has done a great job of integrating their support races into the race weekend because uh, you have the Road to Indy series that we allude to in the primer. Uh, Indy, Indy Next is pretty great racing. Uh, a lot of times IMSA races are there as part of the weekend uh, that you can you can check out. So like it's a lot of racing you're getting uh, for that for that admission ticket. Uh, yeah, F1, like somebody else wrote about this too, where like F1 is, is intentionally targeting this like really upmarket approach. And yeah, like the entire F1 strategy in the US is to be like a high margin business, mm -hmm. uh, sell it as a luxury good and target places where you can just have F1 be ridiculously expensive. And I think it's like for them, it is not at all a bug that they are not able to get sort of mass adoption of this. It's a feature that they are like pulling in only the high rollers uh, because also like high rollers can be much less sensitive to price fluctuations. Uh, so yeah, like that's, that's F1 strategy for sure. And I, and I, and I get how you get there, but I also do think for a few reasons, it's good to give people a chance to connect with your sport for less than the cost of like a monthly payment on a pretty nice house if it, this is actually something I, I was uh sort of experiencing a little bit while i was in ireland because while i was there my f1 tv subscription was not playing ball it was you know you're in ireland now you have to watch this on either sky sports f1 or on channel four so i actually watched the channel four highlights with my sister and my brother-in-law the race which was really strange because it had like a bunch of pundits i haven't seen in forever um and they had like a sort of a like in a way it was good for for the baku race because it was so boring but they had like a truncated highlights package for it it was maybe 50 minutes instead of the full the full uh you know whatever hour and 30. um but yeah it just reminded me that like well, at least one of the things that's good is handy over here stateside is you can get that f1 tv package for 60 bucks and has so much stuff and it's all live and great and that's not necessarily the case in other parts of the world yeah i, I would say um there there is also more than just the top tier of american motorsports you know it doesn't have to be nascar or indycar if you've got a track near you look at the schedule yeah. and just just go i mean there's there's all kinds of weird stuff uh you know I, I, I wish often that there was a, um, that there were more minor league sports in, uh, in the Bay area, uh, because I think that would be really fun to go to. You know, I've in, heard people that you go to minor league baseball games all the time. It just sounds like a great yeah, time. I'm going I think to, there's, uh, there's a racing equivalent out there, especially in, in America and especially in the American South, as it seems. Yeah. I'm going to a, a Bowie Bay Sox game tomorrow night, which is the team I, you know, supported here in, in Maryland when we were living here yeah. and, uh, in Petaluma, there's actually a raceway in the middle of town and at the moment it's like racing season. So they're obviously doing some stuff, but I haven't visited it yet. Um, so yeah, I'm totally with you. I love that local sports stuff. It's, it's, it's I'm tough. still seething that, uh, the league killed our local minor league team. Oh, killer. Uh, what were they called? Uh, the oh. river Hawks. Yeah, we, we had, um, we had a minor league Actually. hockey team in uh at the cow palace in san francisco oh, nice. the san francisco bulls and they were awesome <laughs> sorry and i only got to go to one game before they left that's wrong the riverhawks the co the collegiate team the riverhawks are still alive and well uh the team was actually much cuter it was the lowell spinners because this lowell was a textile spinners. town there's a there's a there's one it's it's not like triple a wow. or double a it's like a smaller it's like the pacific league i want to call it um uh there's a couple of baseball teams uh, up and down California and I think a couple of other states that are in it. I'm trying to remember which one it was. It wasn't Nevada. It was one of the towns. Uh, 
like Pacifica or somebody had a team in it. But my favorite team that was in it was the uh, Bakersfield Train Robbers. Um, I think it's the Pacific League in baseball. <laughs> yeah, it's good stuff. That's great. That's great. Well, if you want to send us your, uh, you know, escapades with <laughs> minor league teams of all sports, you can do so. Shift to podcast at gmail.com or f1.cool slash emails. You can also hit us up on the socials. Those links are in the show notes. That's us around the internet. Should we take it around the world, Danny? Yeah, we could do it a little bit quietly because I want to make sure my daughter does not wake up too early from her jet lag sleep. So let's race around the world. Ooh, yeah. Oh, man, that's like you're like a DJ on a smooth <laughs> jazz station. That's really that's something. Um, speaking of uh, not being televised, the F1 Academy uh, is also uh, on this weekend in Spain at the Circuit de Barcelona, Catalunya, Barcelona, <laughs> Catalunya. Um, Formula 2 and Formula 3 will be supporting Formula 1 at the Autodromo Enzo Idino Ferrari this weekend, as I mentioned. We've also got the Craftsman Trucks at the North Wilkesboro Speedway in North Wilkesboro, North Carolina for the Tyson 250. Ooh. Uh, we've got the Repco Supercars in Tasmania. Yes, it's a real place at the Simmons Plains Raceway for the Ned Whiskey Tasmania Super Sprint. Um, we've got the Motocross Grand Prix. Uh, they're in, oh boy, where is this? Villa Sueco for the Motocross Grand Prix of France. Uh, Super Formula is racing at Autopolis. My favorite. This weekend, uh, which is a, a racing circuit located near Kamitsue Village uh, in Hita City, Oita Prefecture, Ooh. northeast of Kumamoto. And we got NASCAR. We're also at North Wilkesboro Speedway for the NASCAR All-Stars Open. Oh, boy. All the stars. Got east, east and West. North Whoever Star. wins this race, that's who hosts the NASCAR World Series. <laughs> uh, and Formula One, maybe you've heard of it. Uh, Friday, May 19th, uh, things kick off. Free practice one, 7.30 a.m. Eastern Time. That's right. We're back to European schedules on ESPNU. Free practice two is at 11 a.m. Eastern on ESPNU. Then we've got on Saturday, May 20th, free practice three, 6.30 a.m. Eastern on ESPN2, followed by qualifying at 10 o'clock a.m. Eastern on ESPN2. And the race, everyone, Sunday, May 21st at 9 a.m. Eastern time on ESPN2. The deuce. Outstanding. Danny, does Maryland have books? Maryland has books, but not my book. And look, man, it's been a it's been a tough podcast. Whatever happened for some reason, whenever I'm on the same like side of the world as Rob, we end up with crazy lag to you. I don't know what's going on there. It's like totally fine when we're both in California. It's almost yeah. like we're meant to be together, Drew. It's like we're we're we need to like <laughs> like the to, to hold the power crystals close to each other or something. Rob's is so. This is like the end of a rom com where, like, don't you see the data? Ca- the data center thinks you two belong together. <laughs> Go on, kiss her, you dummy. Uh, yeah. So next week I will be back. Uh, we'll not be whispering and worrying about um, children waking up uh, uh, after jet lag flights, uh, and hopefully talking about an exciting race. But man, it's you know it's hard. I, I feel for people a little bit at the moment, especially those who just kind of come into the sport. Um, it's it's feeling a little bit like deja vu, I think, for us. And it's a, it's hard to see it changing a bit. And I don't think Imola is going to help the cause. But I've been wrong before. We did get a bad Baku this year. Uh, that means, or that's that's why I'm all in on Sergio. I think I think that is that is that has become a fun one to watch. It may you know after this weekend completely diverge again, and Max Verstappen will be way ahead, but maybe not. Uh, stranger things have happened. Um, final thoughts. Uh, I guess those were yours, Danny. Um, uh, final thoughts, Rob. Yeah, I mean, uh, I I always treasure increasingly. I treasure 
races like at venues like Imola because I feel like they're an endangered species with the direction that Liberty clearly wants to move yeah. the sport. I think if they had their druthers, we would be at a street circuit in a major international metro every week. Uh, and I think over time they will try their damnedest to make that happen. And uh, so I'm I am absolutely here for every time F1 goes to a proper venue. Uh, for this type of racing and just a different just the different aesthetic of cars racing out in the countryside somewhere and mm-hmm. not just backdropped against like buildings screened off by by crash barriers so uh you know it's uh, you know at this point i always i feel like it's just such a crapshoot as to what will generate good racing uh the only thing i feel confident about is like monaco never will but beyond that, like I'm open to being surprised by every single one of these things. I feel like each year I, I yeah, you know, I, I understand the reasons that Imola is not great for overtaking, but for the same reason the drivers like to race it, I kind of like to watch it. It's an interesting yeah. place to see yeah. the cars go around. Yeah. Also, last last thing, the Lull Spinners right. mascot. You're wondering why they had an alligator all wrapped up in uh, twine. That's the Canaligator. Oh or Lowell is built on canals. Jesus. It's beautiful. Ugh. It really is. Uh, well, on that note, if you'd like to support the show and get access to all of our bonus episodes and the official Shift F1 Discord, you can do so over at patreon.com slash Shift F1. Have a good race weekend, everyone. We will see you all next week. Meow.